When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Man, I love that intro so much. You guys got a, a real sexy <laughs> intro there, Legs. I swear, man. I'm, I'm kind of oh, jealous. It's cool, man. It Definitely gets me going. I love it, too. Cool. <laughs> uh, welcome to the All NBA podcast. Uh, that's Tim Legler. I'm Saul Bookman. Uh, and as always, we're brought to you by the good folks at DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code All NBA because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Legs, do you have your Louis Vuitton sponsorship as well today? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I have it, man. You got it, no doubt about it. Because <laughs> uh, Wemby, uh, Wemby just signed a deal with L- L- Louis yeah, Vuitton. Yeah, I know so he did. Look at I him. saw that. I saw that. Pretty, pretty sweet, right there. I wish uh, I could get my hands on some of that Louis Vuitton money for sure. But uh, uh, some of these guys, you know, I-, I wanted to talk to start off this show about mentality. You know, uh, we yeah. talked a little bit about the All Star Game, and you know. Uh, reasons why or why not guys want to play hard and all that good stuff. But then I, I thought, you know what? It's over. Let's move on to the next part of this season. And there's a mentality that, that goes into this, not only the mentality going into the season in general, but then the mentality to come back from a little break going into the second part of the season and the differences between the teams that are or the players that are going into uh, the second half with the potential of a playoff spot and the players that are not and what they each you know, what the mindset of each of them is. So let's start off with, you know, just, you know, from your perspective and and knowledge, when you thought about coming back from the All-Star break, what kind of mindset is there just in general about getting ready for the second part of the season? Because I imagine you had a shorter break when you were playing. This is a week-long break. It's about double what it used to be. Um, And there's, there's a little bit of a shift that you have to get ready for on the way back. Yeah, we, we used to come back on – and the games would be Tuesday. Pretty much almost the entire league would be playing Tuesday. So if you participated in the weekend, you know, you get out of there on Monday morning. Like you're, you're meeting – if you're on the road, you're, like you're meeting up with your team on the road, you know, on Monday and, and probably going through a practice that night and then playing the next day, um, you know, or you fly home and, and same thing. In, in this case, you get a couple extra days. You don't start playing on Thursday, and it's not, not everybody's going to play Thursday. Some guys will get till Friday. Um, before you play against that. Yeah, it's a nice long break. I think it's – and obviously we've talked a lot about what All-Star Weekend looks like in terms of guys and the way they treat it. And probably the biggest rigor is just physical demands on the time of the actual All-Star game participants and not even all those guys. The demands on their time is not the same. The top – those top of the food chain guys that everybody wants to get a piece of, they do have a lot of demands on their time. But physically, you're not exerted that much. It's more mentally draining for those guys, that part of it. It's all about what it's become is everybody gets to energize themselves and preserve their legs. That's really what it has that's really what it's become. And and now you come out of it and you have a few days, you know, rest of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, you're playing on Thursday. So you have a, a, a massive amount of adrenaline right now. And there's, look, there's three tiers in the, in the league. There's, there's the, there's the top tier teams that you know, you're going to be in the playoffs, like, and you're not playing your, your top, you know, four or five in the conference. You're not, you know, worried about some playing situation or just scrambling to get in at the end. So you got, that's one tier. Then you got the middle ground, 
which are those teams like, you know, six through like nine, 10, where you kind of hope that you're going to be a playoff mix. You're good enough to compete. You're in that 500 type range for the most part, or a little bit better. And, you know, maybe you just added some pieces, who knows, and you're starting to incorporate them and you're just trying to like get in and see what happens. It's a good experience for your team to get in. And then you've got the bottom feeders. So you got that group of teams that are either going to you know, be fighting for the last play in spot, if that, or they know that that's probably not realistic. All they're focused on is, is basically continuing to evaluate talent to give guys more opportunities here on these last 20, 20, 25 games and see what they have so they can make decisions going into the summer, give guys a little bit of chance to get their feet wet. So you have three different mentalities around it. Either way you slice it for those, those that those two top two groups, you're looking at it now as it's, it's it's basically you understand a sprint here to the finish, trying to get yourselves right, hit your peak, find your rhythm, play your best basketball, get everybody healthy. So when April 15th gets here, you're ready. And, and if you're the top four or five teams we're talking about on this list, you're 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 expecting a two month run. So that's your mentality going into it from the beginning. I think outside of those top teams, and this year maybe maybe it's more than four or five because of the West and, and what some of those teams have added. Maybe maybe the list is is longer. Like Boston's probably in that group. Cleveland, Milwaukee, uh, the Knicks are now in that group. I, you know, I don't know if Philadelphia considers themselves there anymore with, with what happened in beating Indiana's probably not. So you have four in the East, the West. You got Minnesota, Oklahoma City, the Clippers, Nuggets for sure, the Suns for sure, Dallas for sure. And then even teams like the Lakers, Warriors, and Pelicans. So you might have as many as 10 teams in the West. That's literally almost half the league are preparing for what they think could be a two-month run. Because even a team like Golden State, they think they can make magic happen when the time gets here. Lakers think the same thing. So there literally are that many teams, and, and you're just trying to time it out so you're playing your best basketball when that time of the year gets here and everybody is healthy. That's really the mentality for those teams. You know, when, when you're talking about like that off time, okay, it, 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 as, in terms of what you know about players right now, okay, you have basically six days off from the last time they played to Thursday when most of them get back on the court. Um, I know they take vacation. I, I know they like try to get away and they try to decompress and whatever. Is there still training that goes on in that six-day period, you think? Yeah, you're not – you can't step away completely. Um, you're going to get some training in, you know, it depends on the stage of your career. If you're a little bit more seasoned vet, you know what I mean? You, you, it's not as critical for you to get in the gym and, and like work on your game, but you, you've got to do something in, in that time um, from a, a workout standpoint. And it's not going to be every day, but you've got to get something in the younger players. They're probably going to, if they're not participating in the weekend, especially that, you know, you don't want a guy that's, you know, 21, 22, 23 years old that's maybe borderline rotation player for you or a lower rotation player for you, whatever it may be, to take a week and go away to an all-inclusive resort somewhere and just chill. You know, that's 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 not what you know, these organizations are looking for. So those guys are going to definitely continue to work out. The top-tier guys, who knows? Like those top, top guys, they might not get anything done and come back and they know they're good enough they'll find their rhythm in a, in a couple of games. They'll be back in their rhythm. They're not going to lose too much wind in that time. Um, but I think that's mostly reserved for those top guys who have incredible demands put on them every night when they play um, to, to be everything to their teams. Those guys probably need a break, man, mentally and physically. Uh, but but that's not certainly the majority of the league. I mean, guys still have to continue to, to work, and the younger guys are going to be forced to work. Their break's going to be a little bit shorter. They're going to rejoin the team and get back to the facility before other guys are expected to, and then get back in your daily routine. Because um, I think what happens with some of those guys on the better teams, they're it's pounded in their head at all times. Let's say you are anywhere from 10 through, through 12 on an NBA roster. Like that's your, that's your pecking order. So you're probably not in the nightly rotation, but you've had some moments throughout the year, right? Guys get hurt. You get a little bit more opportunity. But for the most part, you're not really expecting to play in the playoffs. What is pounded into their head by the coaching staff, the organization, you might be called on. And 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 the, the importance of the moment is going to be so critical if we just need an eight-minute stretch out of you, you know, in a given time or, or, or two six-minute stretches in each half because somebody's in foul trouble or somebody got hurt. 
and you know, we, we might need you, you could be a pivotal play. So it's just constantly never taking your foot off the gas with those players, keeping them ready. And it's not easy to do when you're not playing every night. You know, I, the, the, that's, that's fascinating to, to hear. Uh, I, I, I always think about like, you know, as the season goes along, some of these teams that, as you said, the bottom feeders, right. Um, I can, I can't even imagine, you know, a team like, you know, and I'm not trying to throw them under the bus, but Detroit, right? They've gone through it this year. It's been a struggle. Um, they haven't won, you know, as many games as I'm sure they would have hoped for. And having to stay in it, you know, and I think it's a little – it's it's hard for us that have never played in the NBA to understand the grind of an 82-game season. And then you combat that with, you know, not playing as well. The expectations have not been reached. Uh, you know, you're, you're one of the, the worst teams in the league. Uh, it, I don't know if you've ever experienced it quite to that level, but like in, in terms of a, of a team that really has no hope of making the playoffs, uh, what do you what do you think players are trying to tell themselves to stay in the moment? Uh, I know it's a profession. It's easier said than done sometimes, though, knowing that you're a professional basketball player, you're getting paid to do a job. But still, it's human nature to be a little despondent about, you know, the lack of success and trying to figure out your way through it. Absolutely. It was on a team like that in Dallas. There's, we were the youngest team in the league. We were the worst team in the league. Um, first half of the year was just sort of like what the Pistons went through this year. And so what happens in that situation, it's really just your inner pride and your professionalism, right? And for some of those guys, like, so we had, that was a mix, mix of guys. Like for a guy like myself, you know, that was about my fourth year out of school. And at that point, I was an undrafted player. I was overseas. I was in the CBA. I'd played in every league imaginable and, and been all over the world trying to get chase my dream and get to the league. And now I'm in Dallas and we got a mix of guys like myself in a similar boat. We had lottery picks. They had like three lottery picks three years in a row. Uh, so you had those type of guys. Then you had other guys like late first round, second round type picks filling out the middle of the roster. So everybody was kind of in a different boat. Um, the top guys that were the lottery picks, like they, they were the ones that like the, the organization was most invested in. They were the ones taking the brunt of the criticism. They were the ones taking the brunt of everything. So like, but listen, I'll be honest with you. We didn't have the hardest workers necessarily in some of those guys and their, their careers were short as a result. You had a guy like myself, right? I'm walking in every day. We're losing. I'm trying to get more minutes and establish myself that I belong in this league and I'm going to have a long career in the league at the time what happens is you you develop a mentality i remember this you know derek harper was my teammate beginning of the year we traded him to the knicks that year for tony campbell mm -hmm. derek harper went to the knicks i think the following season that knicks team went to the nba finals like he was a missing piece for them he was our best player he was our one established veteran player we had everybody else was young trying to figure things out he pulled me aside when it was bad and I think he knew at that point he was going to force his way out. He wanted to go. And he told me something I never forgot. He said, remember this. Every single time you go on a court in the NBA, your jersey says one thing, but you are playing for the entire league. Every time you play. And never forget that. So you can get wrapped up in your circumstances. You know, your minutes aren't enough. You don't like to coach. Whatever it may be. And you can get wrapped up in that to where you become this, like, sort of, you know, miserable, malcontent, and you're kind of like resentful, and then you're just not laser focused like you need to be. You have to look outside of your current situation to understand that there will be another opportunity, whether it's with that organization and you'll be on a better team because they get it together over the next couple of years, or there's an opportunity on another team that's watching you that you might be a piece that they need. And maybe you don't even play as many minutes on the next team, but it's more important minutes because they're good. And so that's the advice he gave me, and I never forgot it. And that's the way I always looked at it. I assumed that everybody was watching my body language. Everybody was watching my effort. Everybody was watching my interaction with my teammates, my coaches. Everybody was watching my – everybody was, was studying you around the league. And as long as you take that approach, you're going to be fine. And you're going to – your talent will dictate whether or not ultimately you can, you can swim in that league. Are you going to sink or swim? And for me, fortunately, that was the beginning – of like a 10 year career that was like right in the beginning. And it really happened for me after that, when I got to Washington, but I, I got a chance to play really good minutes two years in a row in Dallas and on two, not very good teams. 
but I was able to prove to the rest of the league that I belonged and I had a skill set that could help somebody else. And that's really the mentality. I took into it every day and stopped looking at the standings. Stop worrying about crowd reaction. Don't look at what the media is saying. Show up, do your job, work hard, and ultimately your talent will dictate whether or not you can survive. You know, that's that's a phenomenal perspective, uh, Legs. I, I I always wondered, you know, I, I was around the Suns in 2018 when they only won 19 games that year. DA's first year there and, and, and Booker had been there established already, but it was a rough season. And I was always impressed because, I, well, let me say this. I, I couldn't tell uh, if if when I was watching them in practice and how they still remained loose they still remained, you know, they they weren't it didn't feel like they were they were losing perspective or focus. It just felt like they had to stay loose because it was already a tense situation with the lack of wins that they were getting all season. Well, then he flipped that and a couple of years later they make their finals run um and after that, you know, being able to to peek inside the curtain and it's it's a focus but still kind of relatively that same kind of loosey goosey kind of like hey, we just we need to stay relaxed. While we, we while we push towards the the end of the season, uh, on the flip side of that for you legs, when you were going down the stretch of the season, uh, when you had this break, was there anything that you thought like, oh man, you know, over this course of the next four or five days, I really want to try and work on this because I've been struggling at this, um, or was it just like, you know, what that that'll work itself out as the season goes along? I just need to continue to just get in the gym and, and put up reps. Yeah, I don't think you. I don't think you. Uh, you know, you went the latter route with that. You kind of just, you know, at that point, that late in the year, it's it's kind of just, you know, this is what it is, and you just got to continue to grind it. I want to say something about the point you just made about the loose looseiness and loosey goosiness, right, and keeping things relaxed when things aren't going well. Here, here I'll tell you what's a big difference. That's allowed to happen now because the mentality of the interaction between coaches and players is completely different than when I played. Yeah. Um, where that is such an adapted mind view and ideology in the way that you handle players and the catering to players. And like, you're just constantly aware of that. And the players have far more power than they've ever had before in that regard. When I played, it was a little bit different, man. Coaches came in irritated. They're mad. They're embarrassed that you're losing. And it was, it was, I remember one practice in particular in Dallas, they, they literally, the coaches were so disgusted with us 30, 40 minutes in because of the lack of concentration on some of our guys that they left. The coaches left. And they said, you know what? You guys know so much. You run practice. We're, we can't watch this anymore. The whole staff walked out of the gym. And this is to tell you like how fractured things can be. So here they go. They leave the gym. And we're all looking around at each other. Here's what's nuts. You had five, six guys say, leave. all right, they're out. We're out. <laughs> cool. cool i'm gonna go home i, I I'm, I'm gonna go home man i got i got stuff to do i'm gonna go get on my on my xbox like whatever y you had another group of guys that were like no no man we, we got to stay here and get something done man they, they're right they were right this is a joke like we got to get after it and we i remember that day we had like nine guys stay and we played like three on three on three cutthroat so you score, you stay on. You get scored on, those three guys step off. And it turned into one of the most physical and intense practices we had all year because of the competitive nature of it and how irritated guys were and just tired of that malaise hanging over you. And so the mentality was just different. Coaches was more like foot up rear end type mentality, man. And, and like you never felt comfortable. Um, now it's a little different. I think the approach is more like what you're talking about. So that's, I just wanted to say that perspective because it was a different time. Um, and look, you have to, all you can do, it gets to the point where you stop worrying about looking at the standings and the mm -hmm. wins and losses. You literally focus solely on your own job responsibility and assignment, what they're asking you to do to do it the best you can and figure out how to get better and showing up every day and do not change your routine for anything. Um, and you try to get through it. And then you get you get to those last couple games. I swear there were guys that would show up that didn't live in Dallas that were headed home in the offseason. We got to that last game of the year at home. I swear guys rolled in there with, like, U-Hauls attached to the back of their car. Like, they were <laughs> – like they were never going to be skid marks in the parking lot, like getting out of there to get back home, skip exit meetings, like the whole bit. 
um, because you just want to put it behind you. And that's a great thing about the summer, right? And the great thing about, about training camp. Like, think about how optimistic everybody in the league is on yeah. media day, right? Everybody's excited on media day because you all think you're going to go out there and have a chance to compete. And then some for some teams, a month in, two months in, reality sets in that this is what this is going to be. And you got to look in the mirror and figure out what am I going to make out of this? That's really what it comes down to, man. Personal pride and, and survival and what you are trying to accomplish as a player in your career. Wow, that <laughs> the you all I, I could just picture that right now. With some of these players that I've come across in the league. Um, yeah, man. Well, Peace hey, out. <laughs> well, hey, uh, before we move on to the next topic, obviously, uh, we want to go ahead and uh, tell you a little bit something about the DraftKings Sportsbook app. <clears throat> the DraftKings Sportsbook app, it is NBA season right now, folks, and uh, it is in full swing. Uh, you, you can go ahead and spice up your betting lines at the DraftKings Sportsbook app by going and downloading the app and uh, putting five bucks and getting $200 instantly in bonus bets for any new customers by using promo code ALLNBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with pro promo code ALLNBA. New customers can get just five bucks on the NBA and get 200 instantly in bonus bets uh, by using that promo code. Uh, the crown is yours. Uh, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 878-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Uh, in Connecticut, help is available for problem call, gambling, a gambling problem call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boo Hill Casino uh, and Resort in Kansas. 21 or over varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. CDKNG.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right. Well, this is, uh, you know, we, Legs, after after yesterday's show, we kind of talked about, you know, what, what are we going to talk about today? You know, and there's, there's always, at some point of the season, there's always a, a player that steps up that maybe nobody really focused on during the year, and um, they, they have an impact. I remember against the, the Suns in the 21 finals, it just felt like Bobby Portis was that dude for the Bucs. Uh, you know, you got Giannis, you got Middleton, and you had Drew Holiday, but, man, Bobby Portis hit clutch shot after clutch shot, it felt like. And, and I wanted to get to those kind of guys. Those guys, as we come down to the stretch of the season, uh, that could have a significant impact. Um, and legs, I'll start off with with okay. Nas Reed. I think Nas Reed, um, he's he's a he's a versatile big man. Um, he doesn't play great in terms of efficiency uh, shooting wise, but he is shooting a phenomenal percentage from three right now at forty two percent. So a big that can stretch the floor. Uh, he kind of does a little bit of the dirty work for Minnesota in a team that I think when you get into the to the grime of the playoffs, you need those kind of grit and grimy guys to step up. And when you have one that can not only do that, but can also play from the perimeter and has got the length to be able to guard versatile positions, um, I think Nas Reed is uh, a slept-on person, and I think a lot of players understand the value, the value that he brings to the table. We saw a little bit of that last year against the Lakers in the playoffs in the play-in tournament. Uh, what say you about Nas Reed? I love that pick. I swear, I love that pick. I'm not kind of mad I didn't pick him now. I didn't take that name, man. Like you came up with him. I'm kind of jealous right now because he's been that for me all year. Interesting story. Um, I actually coached against Nas Reed on the AAU level. Um, okay. He was a year younger than my team, um, so he but he was playing up him um, and a guy named Javon Quinterly. A point oh, yeah. guard that was a five star went to Villanova. He ended up at three schools. He went to Villanova. He, he, he went to Alabama. He signed, a, he signed at Arizona first, and then decommitted right. Arizona, to the whole FBI right. stuff. Nova, <laughs> Alabama. I mean, he's all over the place. Yeah. Um, they, anyway, that was the point guard and the center on Sports U, a, a high level AAU Under Armour program from North Jersey. We were in South Jersey. We played him three, four times. I uh, couldn't beat him, and finally we got him. We beat him. And and I you know I didn't know where these guys were headed at the time. I mean, my guys were 17. Those guys, those two kids were 16. You don't know how it's going to go. I knew they were five-star recruits, but I didn't know how that was going to go for either player. You look up Javon Quinterly, you know, his career, he ended up being a good college player, but it took him three programs to find that. Yeah. Uh, Nas Reed, you know, look at what he's doing now. 
the NBA level, and I'm amazed by it. I tell this story all the time because it's kind of cool. Like, my players that I coached, my son was on that team. Like, just cool that, like, Nas Reed was on that team that we beat, and now look what he's doing for Minnesota. I love this selection. The thing I love about Nas Reed is, is, is it depends on what you might need on a given night. He will check that box. If he you need him to be the more versatile, fleet-footed big on the perimeter – that could jump out if you're having problems defending pick and roll or whatever it may be. Like, he can be that guy for you. Do you need him to be a guy that just absolutely energizes the crowd as most reserves do that have that kind of impact? They just seem like they carry more weight because the crowd can't wait. When they see him get up to check check in the game, the crowd's anticipating. They're going to do something. So he he gives you points, uh, net rating points, because of his energy alone. And then the last thing he can do – Flat out shoot the basketball if that's what it takes on a given night. You know, you need a, a 12, 15, 18-point game out of Nas Reed in a tight spot. You're going to get it. And so I just love his versatility. And, you know, he wasn't an outside shooter like back when he was 16. I coached against him. He was a post player, obviously. He was a dominant 6'9 kid at that age, athletic, like you couldn't really stop him in the paint. And he protected the rim. It was hard to get there if he was on the court. You fast forward and look what he's become. Like this, this – 20 out to 25 foot stretch shooter and the versatility is added to his game. So I, I think that's an absolutely excellent one. And I agree with you. He's going to have a lot to say about what Minnesota does in the postseason. All right. My first one, and this is an interesting one because I think a lot of people thought when the OG Ananobi trade went down for the Knicks, that this guy was a throw in precious Achua. No. So you right. He was playing Precious. for Toronto, but he wasn't really like, you know, he wasn't really like an, and nobody was really watching a lot of the Raptors like this year. Uh, they were a mediocre team and you weren't paying attention to him. And, and even if you did, he wasn't having this kind of impact. Well, he comes to the Knicks and there's an opportunity immediately for him to get on the court and look at what he has done since he's been there. I think he's had seven double digit rebounds in the last games in the last 12 in the month of February. Saul, he's averaging 14 points, 12 boards, and two blocks. I don't know how Tom Thibodeau is going to keep this guy's minutes down when Randall comes back. I know how important Julius Randall is, and they just added Bogdanovich, who's really a, a four. I guess you could play him some at three. Precious Achua is a prototypical four. And I'm curious to see what is Tibbs going to do because he's averaging 41 minutes a game in February without Julius Randall. 41 minutes a game and he's just yeoman's work man he never gives up on the offensive glass he's a relentless defender he finishes around the rim and now you got you know just added bogdanovich you got julius randall coming back you know eventually you're going to get mitchell robinson into the mix with front court minutes you've already got hartenstein who's been great for them it might be a good problem to have all that depth but it's also going to be a challenge for tibbs and i'm really curious to see what they do with Precious Achua because I have a feeling if they cut his minutes, it won't be for long. He, he's going to remind them of what he does. And by the way, I just said what Nas Reed does to energize. I think I can say the same thing about Precious Achua in the Madison Square Garden. They re, The Nick fans, Northeast Corridor City fans, Philly, Boston, New York, D.C., appreciate guys that play like Precious Achua. End yes. of story. And so I'm really curious. I, I'm calling the Celtics-Knicks game on ESPN Radio this Saturday night uh, at the Garden. And I can't wait to see this guy up close and see their team up close and see the energy in that building. And he provides a lot of that. So I just thought people aren't paying attention to this guy's numbers and what he's been doing for the Knicks. It's it's pretty astonishing. Man, I love that pick. I, I, I'm i just like you with Nas. I'm a little a little jealous that I didn't pick that as well. Because <laughs> I, 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 again, you want to talk about identity and city, and sometimes players just fit a mold of, of what the DNA and the city is all about. And Precious definitely fits that New York area. Um, it, listen, it, on paper, you think the Knicks should be one of the more physical teams in the in the in the front court uh, in the league, and so I hope when Julius Randle comes back and, and you you have this mix that they can actually do that. Because Precious Achua, in a different kind of way, I'm not saying it's an exact replica, but he gives me Charles Oakley vibes. You know what I mean? He's just kind of a tough guy. It feels like he doesn't put up with a lot of nonsense. He just gets after. I love that pick. Uh, the other one I, I would go to, I'll stay on the East. Uh, you know, And this guy's been going through it in terms of 
his his run in Philadelphia. It's been up and down. He was highly criticized last year for kind of uh, disappearing in parts in the playoffs. But Tobias Harris, um, I think, is it's kind of funny to say that, you know, what was kind of viewed as the the third part of a of a trifecta when Harden and and Embiid were there and now Maxi and Embiid uh in Tobias Harris, you know, it's kind of weird to say that he was that third wheel and that he would be under the radar, but I just feel because of his playoff um lack of success especially a year ago and the expectations I think that were placed upon him when he first got to Philadelphia, Tobias Harris to me could be that guy if if Philadelphia doesn't fall apart, I should say he has he's going to have a lot to do with it right now because he can keep this team afloat off of his skill set alone. He's a good shooter. He can score at, at various different levels. He's just found these cold streaks every now and then that have really hurt his team. And I think he has a tremendous opportunity to keep Philadelphia afloat without Embiid in the next you know two months and get them just to get, just get them to the playoffs. Because I'll tell you what, if Philadelphia hangs in there and they stay around, and they're competitive, and they're going to be maybe a top 60 still, I I find it hard to believe that Embiid's not going to at least want to try and give it a go if he can physically to get back into the playoffs. So Tobias Harris, I think he has an opportunity to do something big. He's averaging 17.7, 6, and 3. Uh, he's He's got his second best field goal percentage in his career right now this season. and uh, And so I think Tobias Harris has a lot to prove. Uh, he's been playing decently well this season. I think he has a tremendous opportunity to step up. Love this one too. And, uh, you know, I, I'm very familiar with um, this market because I lived there for so long and went to school there and been in that area for a long, long time. Very familiar with the fan base there. Very familiar with the media that covers that team. And I think Tobias Harris has, to me, been the target in a lot of ways, unfairly so, as a scapegoat for things that go wrong with that team. And I just don't get it when you look at his production. Look, I understand he has had some moments in the postseason where, you know, and you could pick a game or two in a series where he's real quiet, right? And you averaged 18 in the regular season, close to it this year. You're at 50, over 50% from the field, seven boards. Those are great numbers. He's a 90% foul shooter. His three-point shooting percentage is down this year relative to like what he normally does. I think it's his lowest percentage in about five years. But he's like only been over 40 one or two times in his career. He's typically in that 37, 38 range. Like that's where he is. He's at 34 this year. So it's just down a little bit. And look, some of that might have to do with the emergence of a Tyrese Maxey, right? So the flow of the offense a little bit different. So maybe the touches are somewhat different with Maxey. So – you know, I'm not. I'm not going to. You know, berate that point. He's down a few points from the three. Big deal. That's not his game anyway. He's a mid-range jump shooter. He's a he. He's a post-up turnaround jump shooter over smaller guys. He's a mid-range off the dribble, one bounce, pull-up jump shooter. Like that's what he. That's what he does really well. He gets picked on, man. When they when they struggle on a night, he has a bad game and they lose. It doesn't matter what Embiid did or Maxi and how bad they could have been. They're coming at Tobias Harris in that in that market. Yeah. I'm just telling you. And so that hasn't yeah. been easy for him. And he's alluded to it before. I remember one point last year he had a comment that said they would trade him for something. It was like some food reference, like a dozen donuts or something. Like he, you know, he that's how kind of how he felt about his relationship with the fans and the media there. And that took that got a lot of play, which didn't make it easier on him at home, <laughs> believe me. But I look at it and I look at his postseason. So the bottom line is this, you're right. When it matters. And it might not be this year because of the Embiid situation. Whenever they get back to say next year, they got Maxi, he's still there, and they got Maxi and Embiid, Buddy Hield, if he's still there, you got to show up. Like you can't have that night when they lose and you give them a four-point game. Mm -hmm. That's the stuff that people harp on and they don't forget. And that's really been his only problem. So I like that one. I think he's going to have a lot to do with what goes on with Philadelphia, uh, one way or another. More importantly, obviously, if Embiid comes back. All right, my next one. Um, I'm going to go out west. And going into the season, the Denver Nuggets had a, you know, question marks because they made some personnel changes. Some key guys that were on that team uh, last year that helped them to win a championship. Bruce Brown at the top of the list was no longer there. And uh, Jeff Green, no longer there. Two important guys. One and more of a veteran presence that also played in the postseason and had some spots. And then Bruce Brown was just consistently really good for them in a, in a utility knife type role 
where was it going to come from? Because Christian Brown, you know, was he ready to take that leap in his second year and be that consistent as we go into this postseason? And then the guy that's kind of emerged as a critical piece of this is Peyton Watson. Hmm. And if you look at what Peyton, Peyton Watson has been doing, like throughout the year, started off a little bit slow with the minutes and, and kind of had to earn them and, and grab his way and get his way into the rotation. Well, now pretty cemented. He's playing 20 plus minutes a night. And some nights he'll give you double-digit scoring. His shooting percentages are very good. He's 52% from the field in the month of February, 50% from the three-point line. So he's comfortable, and his shot volume isn't super high, so he's a little bit selective, but that's fine. He's not going to take bad shots and force the issue. He can give you that, though, and I think he's going to have to have some games in the postseason, Saul, where he gives you, on a, on a night when they need it for some reason, 15. Maybe that's a night Michael Porter Jr. struggles. Maybe that's a night Aaron Gordon doesn't give you you know a good scoring number, which he does sometimes. Where's it going to come from? The supplemental offense for Jokic, for Jokic and uh, Murray. Peyton Watson is that guy that can do it. And more importantly, they love his defense. They love his length. He's 6'8", long arm. When you look at some of the guys you're going to have to play, he's going to get some time on Luka Doncic. He's going to get some time on a guy like Kevin Durant. He's going to get some time on a Paul George. He's going to get some time on an Anthony Edwards. So his defensive presence and component is also important to this team. And I think he's a guy worth watching because his minutes have gone up steadily throughout the year to where he's a 20-minute rotational player on a defending champion that's expected to fill a spot that Bruce Brown gave them in the postseason last year. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I'm actually going to stay on the same team. Uh, you had mentioned Christian Brown uh, a little bit ago. Uh, I I also think that he's one of those versatile guys that can guard two, three, uh, sometimes even a four because of how physical and how how he just gets after it on the defensive side. He he does a lot of things fairly well. Um, my thing with 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 Christian is is again the energy that he provides uh, that Nuggets team when he's on a roll. Um, it, it sparks the whole crowd. And and to me, there was various times last year during the playoffs, even as a rookie, when he would get these spot minutes, and he would do the most with those spot minutes. And yeah. to the point where the other team just felt like. It was a nuisance. He was a nuisance out there, <clears throat> and I and, and as the season's gone on, you mentioned Peyton Watson, formerly UCLA product, um, and, and then there's another guy, Julian Strother, who I thought at the beginning of the season, yeah, had a lot of potential, could shoot the lights out, uh, just hasn't really gotten those opportunities of late. Uh, I think those three guys, as you move forward, even if it's not just this season, as you move forward the next season and beyond, they have the potential for growth to a point where the Nuggets might not miss too much of a beat should other guys in their current rotation start to fall off. And so I think Christian Brown's got a lot of potential. Uh, you know, when he came out of Kansas, I didn't really know what his role was going to be because he was kind of in between positions as well. You could make an argument that he was between a one or a two or a two and a three. You didn't know what he was going to be. He gets to this level. He's kind of just a, a a dog at the two and a three position. He can get after you a variety of different levels. Offensively, uh, you know, he's not the greatest shooter in the world, but he attacks the rim very, very hard. He will get those loose balls, kind of like a Josh Akogi, uh kind of player where he'll give you those second chances because of his effort alone, and that's what keeps him in the rotation. So Christian Brown, to me, uh, he was my last guy that I wanted to talk about. I thought I think he's he's uh, a very good player, seven points, three and a half rebounds right now, uh, only as an assist in the game. But he gets he does the most with what he's given, and I, I think that's a, a pretty good trait to have if you're going to be under the radar yeah. and really yeah. produce. I my only comment on that one is um, last year, you know, and, and I was very familiar with him coming out. I was excited about watching him play as a pro. And he, he had a little bit of, a, as all rookies, a little bit of up and down year. He actually then got, he was better for them in the postseason. Like he had mm -hmm. impactful stretches of minutes in the playoffs, which told me a lot about Christian Brown. That tells you a lot. Like if, you, if you're, you've had an uneven season, you know, minutes wise, some nights you're needed, some nights you're not, struggle a little bit with your shooting. And now you get to the biggest stages on a team that's trying to win a championship and you actually have moments where you're thrust out there and you, and you, you get it done. That told me a lot about like what he's made of. And um, I, I think you're right. This is going to be an interesting postseason for him. So we got a couple, couple dudes off uh, Denver's bench that I think are going to be very important for them. Um, all right. My next one is a guy that I kind of had an appreciation for him because I'm a shooter and, and you know, he's primarily in the league and people view him as a shooter this year. I have totally taken on a different view of this player, Grayson Allen. 
No, Grayson Allen, to me, and look, he had a lot of baggage, and some people are never going to forget some of that stuff, right? The tripping stuff in college, and then he had the hard takedown foul. Who was that he ripped to the ground? That It was a it Caruso. Was a Caruso, Caruso yeah. Alex Caruso, right? So, the, like, that play, you know, and, and, you know, some people say he's just got one of those faces. He just he drives you crazy. Like, the look on his face, like, whatever, right? So I'm like, all right, I'm in this camp, like, I, but you know, I could look beyond that because I played in the league, and I'm like, look at this guy, like, okay. I, but I appreciate what he's what, as a player, what he is. This year, here's what he's done for me in viewing him. Number one, dude is tough as nails, tough as nails, and, and when he keeps it clean, and you're not talking about this other stuff, the dude is tough, physically tough. He competes on both ends of the floor. He is a good defensive player. He's strong. He's got a ton of want to. He's quick enough, and he's just he's just physically got the, the the profile that he likes to guard, and he's impactful on that end of the floor. So that's first. Secondly, he is much more than just a spot up three point shooter. Mm -hmm. He puts it on the deck pretty good. Like he's not going to flash do to something flashy with his handle and get you rocking and go one direction when you go the other. That's not what I'm talking about but he can put it on the deck on a quick catch swing through go and he can get to the rim quickly to finish. And then finally, I mean, he had a, he had a, a game, I believe with 14 assists like this month for Phoenix on a night when he only took like four shots as a spot up three point shooter. And it wasn't like his night. Like they were, yeah. they were face guarding him and all kinds of stuff and not leaving him. So he said, okay, well, I'm going to take advantage of the other opportunities that are here for me. And he's able to put it down and find people and I look at his like shooting splits, 51 from the field, 48 from the three, 89 from the line. Doesn't get there a ton, but 89 from the line. And just the other components of the playmaking and the ability to guard, add all that up. You got a dude that has started 49 games for the Phoenix Suns. And look, those top three guys get so much attention. You know, most people, if I said, who is the Phoenix Suns' fourth leading scorer? Most people would say, what difference does it make? They're getting 75 points out of those three guys. What? But that's who it is. It's Grayson Allen. He's the next guy on the list as a 49-game starter that gives you a lot more than just a guy out there standing around, catching and shooting and hunting down three-point shots. And I just think he's going to be very important for the Phoenix Suns in this playoff stretch because of his ability to guard and help Booker and Beal – because he can guard those same players they have to if they're in foul trouble and on the other end of the floor be that pressure release guy that can have a game maybe in a in a first, second, third round series where he makes six, seven threes in one of those games. And I bet he will because he's going to get some opportunities. And that is just a huge thing and hard to overcome when you've got so many other things to deal with and trying to guard their top three guys. I didn't want to bring up Grayson Allen because I didn't want to be a homer. Uh, yeah. But I love I me some Grayson Allen. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate you bringing him up because yeah. I totally agree with you, Legs. I think Grayson Allen probably has the most potential of any player in the league to be able to take over a game uh, from, from the perimeter for sure. But the, you know, to your point about not being just a three-point shooter, I think the thing I've, I've been surprised about Grayson on is he's been such a great facilitator and uh, he's been really careful with the ball. In games where, you know, sometimes the, the Suns would just turn the ball over too much for my liking, you know, in the upper teens in turnovers, and you just can't have that. But Grayson has been very fundamentally sound throughout, and that, that's just the way he, he, he grew in the game, especially under Coach K. Uh, the other thing defensively, I, I think uh, when you're talking about one, uh, you know, man-to-man -man defense, he gives you the effort. I think sometimes, you know, it, just physically he's he's a little outmatched from time to time. But the thing that stood out to me the most about him has been his help defense and his team defense is second to none. He, he understands the, the weak side. He understands when to help. He understands he has great instincts defensively when it comes to uh, help defense. And I, I love Grayson Allen. Uh, I probably trust him more than – just about any Suns player in terms of taking care of the ball, making the right decision, and moving along. Uh, I think the offense flows through Grayson naturally. It never stops. The ball never sticks. And I've just been absolutely over the moon excited about what he brought to the table. I did not expect to see uh, myself love a Duke Blue Devil as much as I love Grayson Allen, but here I am. So, uh, Isn't it amazing you any <laughs> when, those guys, when those guys end up on your team? Like I, you know, There were guys like that in the league when I played – on other teams and you couldn't stand them 
And then they show up in your locker room one day and they put on the same jersey as you and you are glad to have them on your team. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Do you have anybody else you want to point out? No, that's it. I think we wanted to talk about some of these okay. rookies, right? So, but we have yeah. enough time to probably get to a few of those guys. So let's yeah. let's move on Be to rookie report. And the way you and I, okay, go ahead. Well, before you do, we do have three super chats. I just want to throw out okay. before yeah, you get, get onto the yeah, rookie. Okay. Yes. J Money four ninety nine super chat legs with that practice story that was super interesting. Did the guys that stayed back and and practice? Uh, and kept practicing, grown uh, your own separate bond on some level. Did you guys grow a bond on some level for the guys that stayed back as opposed to the guys that said, I'm out if the coaches are out? Yes, I, I did feel that. Honestly, I did. It was kind of one of those moments, man. It kind of defined who you were. And you looked around, and it was a foxhole-type mentality situation, and you want to know who's in the foxhole with you because – that was a very difficult situation we were going through and the guys that stayed behind knew we had to get something done and yeah it was a physical practice there was even a fight that broke out in that session um a quick one that we stopped uh, you know this is the this is the frustration level the guys were feeling but you definitely came out of that and you had a little bit of a renewed appreciation for some of the guys that you're playing with that knew that they were taking the same approach you were and it, it meant a lot that's awesome. Uh, uh, two super chats from Cycle Blue. The first one, $10. Appreciate you, Cycle Blue. Basketball Cthulhu appreciates former son Legler keeping the discussions honest. Exciting times ahead. And then the second one says, by the way, Tim, nice to see another RVA native put in that work in the league, especially in the media. 804, baby. 804, baby. West End <laughs> Richmond. J.R. Tucker's J.R. Tucker High School. Um, yeah, man, I, I love it. So we, yeah, we moved just quick story. We moved from Baltimore to Richmond when I was 12 years old and it was a big deal because I sports were my life. And, um, you know, I kind of knew what my path was going to be in Baltimore, you know, where I was going to go to high school and all that. It was all set. And then we moved dad had a work related thing. So we moved and that was a tough time for me. And sports are the greatest way to reincorporate yourself into or to incorporate yourself into a new environment, right? And that's what it did. I made my first good friends in Little League tryouts that year. And then eventually, you know, made my way to Tucker High School. And I left there as the all-time leading scorer um, in the history of the school. And to this day, I have great friendships from, from that area. My sister still lives down there. My mom was till my mom passed last summer, but she was still there. So I was in Richmond, you know, three, four times a year seeing my family. My sister's still there. So it's always to me gonna be and i was only there from the age of 12 to the age of 17. i went off to college and i kind of never lived in richmond again full time but for me that was such a critical time in my life i will always refer to that as like the one place that really felt like home to me yeah, that's awesome that's awesome it's and listen we all have those areas where we grow up and maybe we identify with those more than others and uh i mean richmond sounds like a pretty cool place for you so that's pretty dope i the other the other players that we're going to talk about right now are kind of in the same vein where you know maybe you know we looked at this nba draft and obviously there was about two or three guys that stood out at the very top and you know and, and emma's going to bring up this graphic of last year's draft you know obviously we've talked about the Wemby, we talk about the brandon millers uh scoot henderson was was largely talked about coming in uh but we, we we're going to refrain from talking about those guys specifically and even jaime Hawkes, he's gotten a lot of love of late and even even uh, and uh, Chet Holmgren, who was drafted the year before, but technically a rookie, so we're exactly. going to leave him out of the equation as well. So, so Tim, you you wanted to talk about you wanted to point out some rookies that you think have been you know pleasantly surprising. Uh, who do you got first? All right, I'm going to start this off with um, a guy that I've become more familiar with here lately because beginning of the year I wasn't really necessarily paying as much attention to this team. Um, they had their fortunes in their season turn around. Uh, it's Utah Jazz, and it's Keontae George. Um, man, oh, man, if they found a player. He has got so much swag and confidence and burst, and he's just got a ton of talent. He's averaging 25 minutes a game on a team that's now become relevant, right? They're, they're now, hey, they're, they're thinking play-in situation. Early in the year, if you recall, they were at a point where the rumors were their record was so bad that they were going to break this whole thing up. And they were actually mm -hmm. talking about, is Laurie Markkinen going to be available? I remember we did a whole show talking about Laurie Markkinen going to Oklahoma City and, like, what would it take and what would that do pairing him with Shea uh, and, and Chet and those guys. And it turns out right after that conversation, they start winning games at a really high level. And now they're, like, really fun, very interesting. They can put up big numbers. 
and they're in the mix in the West for like a play-in spot. So they're not their season is not disregarded anymore. And Keontae George in 50 games, he has started 19 of those, 25 minutes a game. He is averaging just under 12 points a game, four assists a game, 40% from the field. So that's got to come up a little bit. Obviously, 35 from the three, 82 from the line. So his shooting splits will improve. The most important thing is that, you know, this is a guy who's got good size, 6'4", quick, athletic, gives them a guard that's, I think, multidimensional. For where he was picked in the draft, I think they got a steal. Yeah, no, I agree. I, he actually played against the Suns earlier in the season. And in the first half against the Suns, he was unguardable. He had, uh, I think, about three or four threes. But his drive was unstoppable. His pull-up was unstoppable. Him getting to the rim was unstoppable. Like, the Suns just did not have a guy that could guard him at the moment. Uh, he kind of faded away in the second half. But I thought that that first half was really impressive. And, and so being able to see him up close like that, I was like, okay, that is definitely somebody to take note of. Uh, I totally agree. I, another player that I, I've really taken note of, because we've played the Mavericks twice now, um, and I didn't really know much about this guy. Uh, even in the draft, I really didn't really pay too much attention to him. But Derek Lively, man, uh, talk about go up and get it. Uh, he is he's been a valuable asset for that for that Mavs team, especially after uh, losing some of the size that they did over the you know they last year they tried to toy it around with with Javale McGee and it just didn't really work. And but now you have a younger, fresher guy and Derek Lively who can go up and get it. He's averaging nine and eight right now. Uh, he's very efficient at the rim. Uh, defensively, he's a problem because he's going to block a lot of shots. He's going to get in your way. I think he has been a nuisance. And, and when you're talking about guys that are perimeter-based or at least you know mid-range to perimeter-based and can have such high skill levels like a Kyrie and like a, a Luka, and with the vision of those two, to be able to just throw up these lobs and, and find your big um, in, in good positions and you know that they're going to take care of the ball. Derek Lively has been very, very impressive uh, to me this season, and I think he can hold up in the playoffs for that Mavs team who's going to need some size to be able to combat some of the bigs in the West, like your Jokic's and stuff like that. So I'm uh, very interested to see his growth and development as we move forward. Yeah, I'll just quickly add to that. I agree with everything you said. He's a he's a great compliment to Luka because of the, the pick-and-dive game and Luka's ability to just throw it up there and have him go get it. I, you know, you, you, we were concerned about the Mavericks' size. They addressed it with Lively, but then it's like, okay, is that enough? They went out and they got Daniel Gafford. And so now, mm. like, I look at them in the middle and say, at you know, at no point in the game do they have to go without a stud athlete in the middle that can not only catch lobs and finish around the back, because both of those guys do that. They both protect the rim. They're super active defensively. They can, they can you know, jump out, get beat by the guard on a switch or a hedge, but still be athletic enough to track them all the way to the rim and still get a piece of it as they lay it up on the glass. So the, now you have two – it's a two-headed monster in the pivot. And so every night, the way you have to evaluate production for the Mavericks, you have to add those two guys together because that's the, what they're getting out of the center spot. Like in a lot of nights, that's going to be 20 and 10-plus production, three, four blocks, you know, six to eight offensive rebounds. They're perfect fits for that team and what they need and the reward that they get from Luka. Because that's the one thing he does promote. He will promote you to cut harder, run harder, because the ball will find you. And so I think that that's, that's a good one on, on your part. Um, all right, the next guy I'm going to go with uh, is Brandon Pajemski. And a lot of people are probably starting to become more aware of him because the Warriors oh, are yeah. one of those teams, right? Everybody wants to watch them still because of the Steph show. And so you've been noticing Pajemski. But I want to just kind of give my take on what I'm seeing in this guy. Uh, first of all, 19th pick in the draft. So – where he was drafted relative to what he's doing for them, an absolute steal. Give them credit. This And, and I remember talking to them in the preseason. I talked to Mike Dunleavy Jr. right after the, the pick because they were heading into camp. And they were, he was like saying like they were so excited that he was there when they picked. And at the time you're thinking like, okay, that's what everybody's going to say about their first pick, you know, 19th pick. I didn't know much about him, honestly. Well, I do now. Here's the thing that, that I know. He has made the transition, potentially going forward, at least right before the break, of Clay Thompson to maybe come off the bench in a new role. Like they did that the last game before the break. It was Clay's best game of the year. Something was unleashed in him. He was more relaxed. He embraced it to his credit. I gave him a lot of credit for mentally wrapping his head around at a player of that level. He's only 34 years old. It's like 
the guy that his running mate still looks the same, and now they're asking me to come off the bench. That is not easy. And he totally embraced it, got his mind right, had a great game. Well, the only reason that that's even possible is because of Brandon Pajemski, that they can put a guy out there that not only can score, I think he's you know averaging on the year, like the month of February, let's go with that, recent numbers, he's averaging 13 in the month of February. So he can score. And more importantly, seven assists a night, almost eight rebounds a game. He's just one of those ball hawks. When you watch Brandon Pajemski and the number of balls he runs down as long rebounds on either end of the floor and the tough ones he gets where he gets a guy on his back that's three inches taller when the shot goes up and he's not even trying to hunt the foul. He's going after the ball, grabbing it, gets his hands on it, it's his. He, he just is one of those guys that's got a total nose for that. Those are winning plays. And his ability to just move the ball and get it hopping, he understands team offense. He understands the intricacies of that system. He's a perfect guy to plug in right now while you figure out what this is going to mean for Klay Thompson going forward. So Pajemski, to me, has been an absolute revelation. And with the 19th pick to get this kind of production and this level player going forward, kudos to the Golden State Warriors front office for getting that right. Totally agree. I, I have him on my list as well. Uh, the thing about him is, you know, the DNA between him and Gary Payton the second are almost identical in terms of their effort and, and the, the way they get after it. Uh, he's been very impressive because, you know, you, you start to look at the future of the Warriors with with Clay, Steph, and where they're going in their careers. And obviously, Steph is probably going to hang around a little bit longer than than Clay, but. I thought Brandon coming in at this time, learning from those two, and then taking the reins as fast as he did, and really taking control at times of these games, has been very impressive. You know, he he attacks the rim very well on the offensive side, but on the defensive side, he gets after it too, and he doesn't back down from just about anybody. Uh, he's a nuisance when the when the Warriors are desperate and they try to go full court. It feels like there's four guys out there when it's only just him. You know, putting right. that pressure on the guards on the other team. And so very impressive guy, nine and six and four uh, over the season. But as you mentioned, uh, 13, eight and seven in the last month, he's he's getting better progressively as the season goes along. And he's a, a very reliable guy. And he's been reliable ever since they lost Chris Paul in the lineup. It's been, hey, let's plug this guy in. And he's he's filled that role just fine. You know, he's, he's helped stem the tide from the loss of Chris Paul until he comes back, and then also the demotion of, of Clay to the bench. Um, and if you don't have a guy like that, as you mentioned, uh, you're going to be sinking. Uh, the last guy I'm going to bring up uh, is a, a second-round pick. And I know you got a second-round pick that you're going to talk about as well. But to me, uh, he was one of my favorite players because he got drafted by the Suns at the time, but then traded in the DeAndre Ayton trade to Portland. Tumani Kamara, uh, to me, uh, has just – he's been – fantastic i i really like this kid when i saw him in the summer league i thought man he's a he's bigger than he looks on tv uh you know he gets after it he plays with tremendous effort his shot needs a little bit of work you know just a little bit more consistency but he's getting better and better every single week every single month every single opportunity he gets he's averaging seven five and one for the for the trailblazers and he's had some bigger games uh throughout the season Tumani is a, a little bit he gives me boris dial vibes in terms of his versatility he's not as great a passer as as dial but when it comes to everything else defensively offensively there's not one thing that really stands out above everything else, but he does everything at a very high level. And I, I just really like his demeanor, his uh, the, the way he goes about the game. He really cares about the game. He wants to improve. Uh, just a big fan of Tumani Kamara, for sure. And I think Portland got his deal. That's a, that's a great one. And I'm going to move on to because we don't have much time. I'll, I'll just touch on quickly the other guy. Because I look, you know, if you look at the entire second round, I would say this year, cumulative production out of those 30 picks is less than normal. There hasn't been a lot. That's clearly, Kamara's definitely the guy at the top of the list. I'd say the next guy on the list probably is Trace Jackson Davis for Golden State. And he's not playing as much over the last month, but he's he had a stretch where he was consistently playing double-digit minutes for them. And he may get that opportunity again. Um, he's played 40 games on the year, started three of those, 13 minutes a night, six points, four boards in 13 minutes. And more importantly, you know, gives them a little bit of size and athletic ability up front. They don't have a lot of that. I mean, you got, they got Kavon Looney, who is their center, but he's not athletic. Then they've got Draymond Green, who does everything, but he's six foot six. So this guy is one of the few guys they have on their roster 
that plays that's actually got some length to them that they're going to desperately need if they get involved in any sort of play-in or an actual series against one of these teams that have athletic bigs up front or long wings or a big center, they're going to need minutes out of him. So the, the pickings were kind of slim when you look at the second round and who's actually having an imprint right now. And that's not to say some of these guys might not break out you know, down the road. That's it's possible. But I'm just talking about just looking at raw numbers right now this year impacting teams uh these are probably the two guys at the top of the list absolutely listen man there's a lot of guys that are under the radar they're rookies they're they're contributing highly to their teams uh the second half of the season man i, I really can't wait for thursday to start man because I, I we just need some ball back we need some good yeah. competitive ball back legs more than anything because uh after this weekend uh, I, there was a little a little bad taste in my mouth so uh legs i really appreciate you man two days that was fun uh, thanks for having me on the show with Love you. Love having uh, you on, man. Look, look forward for to sure. the next time. Yeah. And then Thursday, Thursday, my counterpart from PH Next Suns, Gerald Borgay, will will be joining Legs as well. So uh, you can tune in for that. Make sure you hit that like button on your way out. Subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, follow Legs on Twitter at Legs ESPN. You can follow me on Twitter at Saul underscore Bookman. And you can follow the show at All City NBA uh, on uh, on Twitter as well. So Legs, until next time, appreciate you, man. Peace. Got it. Yeah. Like the mayor, 